When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, I've got the air horn pulled up. Air horn. I, I, we, I might need a second hit of that horn. I, I the. Hey man, we all we all love that horn. Mm-hmm. We all love that horn. We all need another hit. Air horn. Just to rally ourselves, remind ourselves of what was going on. Mm -hmm. We were in the middle of this dream walking sequence where we're walking through different significant moments in both Jonnet and Teacher Way's pasts. So we see the past version of Jonnet, stricken with panic and fear, crouched behind a rock while the sounds of battle are around him. As we've established previously, there aren't like ghostly figures of people surrounding this past version of Jonnet. Instead, we see the absence of people. We see footsteps in the sand. We see, we hear actually the sound of steel clacking against steel. We, we hear the sound of gunshots cracking across the landscape. We can see bodies tumbling through the brush and sand and rocks on this forbidden island. But we can see the ghostly and indistinct figure of Polaris, the sharpshooter under Calivar's command, a former council member of the Uhuru, someone who served Oromar Vale, but in reality served Calivar who is now focusing his sights on Jonnet Kessler, the stowaway who not only boarded the ship, but boarded the landing party that the Uhuru sent down to this island. This younger version of Jonnet is in far over his head, to the point where the eye that he conceals beneath the bandana on his forehead has opened up, showing him the possibilities of his future. And many of those possibilities seem grim. Near this scene, this dreamlike recreation of the past, we can see the figures of Teacher Wei and our current Jonnet looking down over the scene. 
I want to know what what is it like for Jonnet? Like, what what can we see emotionally on on Jonnet's face and, and his stance uh, as he looks down over himself in this real intense moment of fear that he has faced in the past? I think it's probably oscillating in a couple different directions. Of just, he's a little bewildered by the idea that he is going to have to relive this. That some that it is. Someone has ordained, like, stepped into his world and within, I don't know, an hour and a half has, like, thrown him into a another plane of existence that is now a theater for, like, a kind of a point of trauma. But, <laughs> but, but he agreed to it. He, you know, that's something that he is willing to do, but he also doesn't fully understand, like, why yet. So he's processing through that, but I think what we read on his face as he looks down at himself cowering is Jonnet is giving younger Jonnet just like a look of like you poor thing like you have no idea what's about to happen but I do and I wish I could help you but I, this is just something that you're gonna have to go through kid and teacher way this is you know I think one of your first real looks at who Jonnet is as a person you know you've felt through star watching and premonitions given to you by your seer's eye Mm -hmm. that this person was coming right and that this person would be seeking entry to the temple of the liquid swords there are all kinds of things that you can imagine for somebody who might be doing that but here you know, you can see this person uh, or a version of this person who is in an intense situation. Like, from what you know of the world, being somebody who lives on Sphere, you know that the ocean and water are incredibly dangerous. And here they are on some remote and rocky beach that looks very small with, with, with rocks that look extremely strange. Even the world of, of your, what, what did you call it? Your, your pocket space? Pocket space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The reality of your pocket space is almost having difficulty rendering mm-hmm. this place to you. Mm-hmm. Um, difficulty seeing other figures within this place. And the person that you're looking down at, this, this boy who is cowering behind a rock, does not look much younger than the person standing next to you now. Whenever this happened, it did not happen very long ago. But you can see the vast difference between these two figures, between the scared stowaway who happened upon this island and the hard-eyed young man who looks down at himself in pity. What what does Wei look like? I think that Wei looks... Also empathetic, but encouraged. Wei would be interested in finding out what changed between then and now. How Jonnet's philosophy has changed since this event occurred. And Wei thinks that this is actually a good thing for Jonnet to have experienced, even though it was traumatic, because to be in the Liquid Swords requires a certain amount of self-awareness on when to defend yourself and when to you know when to do difficult things to protect yourself from danger and to protect others from danger if you're always thinking about other people and you're not able to do 
difficult slash violent things, uh, you wouldn't survive. So Wei actually looks very encouraged behind the look of empathy and pity. Which, Tyler, brings me to a point of curiosity that I have. You know, Jonnet is in this situation. He, he is being shown grim possibilities for his future. We know that this is an intense life or death situation. We know that it ultimately results in Jonnet having to take Polaris's life. What motivates him to action? What what makes him choose to do something here that ends up saving his life and ending Polaris's? I don't know if I have an answer to, to that that is any more refined other than fight or flight. And I feel like in the moment that we start this vision, we are catching the flight and we are mm-hmm. seeing Jonnet cowering and there's nothing that he can do. I feel like it's it's like this stone and then the ocean. And, yeah. and it's like the ocean's, you're dead. So then... What are you going to do? And I think to Jonnet's left, to Jonnet's right, there are people, like crew members of the Uhuru, that in the short time that he's been on this ship, he's already grown to, like, revere in some kind of way that are, like, fighting valiantly in against this mutiny. And here he is, and it's like, if I don't do something, then either way, I'm, I'm dead, so I have to do something. I actually feel like when coming to that realization of, like, you have to do something, that's the moment when, like, his eye, like, kind of forced its way open. And then then Jonic sees all the possibilities of th- of the something that he can do. And then that kind of hits him with, like, the overwhelming stimuli of, like, 99% of these involve, like, him doing something and also dying. And so it's, like, sorting through that. It's a shit ton of sensory overload. Yeah. Well, this, this I think, comes to something that is really important and is really essential at the core of who Jonnet is now. It's not that Jonnet being guided by his, his own future is never taking risks. He is. You know, knowing where you want to end up does not mean that you're going to be able to to walk the path necessary to take you there. Jonnet knows with absolute certainty, because he has been shown a version of the future, that there is a man that lies in his destiny that is himself who will be very powerful and who will command many ships, who will have all of the strength and courage that Jonnet admires in others for himself. And he knows that his eye can show him the path to get there. But that is not a guarantee. As Jonnet is seeing now, there are so many different choices that he could make that would result in him not reaching that fate as he gets gunned down by a seasoned sharpshooter in the middle of this battle on this small island. You know, with 98% of all futures pointing to his death, Jonnet and being overwhelmed sensorily, not, not being able to exist within his own body within the moment, not being able to sort out the possible future destinies that the world holds for him, he still comes to a decision that that makes him act 
and that ultimately results in him surviving this situation. I think I've got two questions. The first is very simple. Is Jonnet armed right now? And the second is what allows him to clear his head and defend himself? I think he is armed with a knife. And I think what brings him to defend himself is, I think there's a moment, there are moments where through his nerves, through the adrenaline, the sound of his own heart is just like amplified in his own body and his head. And I think that heightened rhythm, that heightened tempo, like is higher than like maybe he's ever experienced, but also it's like squarely landing at like 120 beats per minute. And that (laughs) is enough to like pull him back to something on this earth. And, and so like he's got his, his heart back, he's got his breath back. And I think, you know, just like we have to do something. We like, we're being shown all of this, everything, and also, like, I think there's a there's a realization dawning on him where it's like, if this sniper, for whatever reason, gets bored with Jonnet or doesn't or decides to go somewhere else, someone else on the crew is going to be a target. And so it's like, you wanted to be on this ship, you wanted to be on this boarding party, you've got to either hold your own or at least don't be a burden. <laughs> and so all of that kind of culminates into Jonnet goes from being shown all these possibilities to desperately trying to look through the possibilities. And I think he's trying to take this for himself and sort of watch, like, I think you get like, you know, in a sci-fi movie, you like a one of those holographic screens or like in front of you, like all this information just. And so Jonnet like essentially sees that through his you know, his lives, the possibilities. And then he picks the one where it's like, instead of rolling out of outside of cover and like immediately like going dark, it's like, which one gets him two steps forward? All right, that's the one we're going to go with. And then we're going to reassess from there. And so I think what then happens is probably the most clumsy version of what Jonnet has been honing over his time since then, where it's like Jonnet now sees the divine pathway as more of like a straight line. Cause like, it's like the, the averaging of possibilities to like, this is the one I should take. Whereas now in the past, it's like zigzaggy and, and very crazy. And so he's just going to be falling forward. And like, what we see is he rolls out from the, the rock, a shot like hits near his feet. He stumbles to the right and then he like falls forward and then like it just puts him underneath the cover of another rock. And then it's like, okay, that worked. And so then it becomes how do we how do we look? How do we grab the the possibility for for myself? And then how do we act on it till we get to the next point where we can take some kind of a breath? Yeah, it is seeing the future and understanding the instructions that the universe is trying to give you and how to follow them. 
it is not just like knowing what could happen, but knowing how to make that happen for yourself. Mm -hmm. And in this very intense moment, again, 120 beats per minute, Jonnet moving from one rock, stumbling, unsure, but seeing that it can work. Sorry, real quick. Let's uh, let's bump it up to 150. (laughs) 150, 150. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, like we crank, we'll crank that number up retroactively. We'll figure (laughs) out how to do that. Moving to another rock. And with that, like moving between like the, the scattered jagged edges on this beach, narrowly managing to avoid the sniper's fire at each. And I think through this, Jonnet drops kind of into a flow. It is a frantic flow, but it is a flow nonetheless, understanding when he needs to move, how he needs to move, how to break patterns that might be anticipated by Polaris, how to maintain patterns so that he can focus on them, and how to merge with those tendrils and lines that the universe has aligned for him, how to become the future that he seeks. And through the middle of this, despite the elation of knowing that, yes, there, there is a path and this is working. I, I can find a way out of this and around this. He looks farther into the future. And he knows what has to happen if he mm. is going to survive this. Yeah. I think that's like, <laughs> there's, uh, I'd say in that, in hitting the ground because I think he 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 hits the ground on his belly he's fully prone at under this next like sort of flat more flat rock body and is kind of taking in the the next set of information and like he's just like feeling a little bit of like you know just like vibration around his pocket where that knife is and like in focusing on that he is just playing it out in his head is like not even not even to the point where it's like I don't even need to see I don't need to see the divine pathway in the universe to know that uh, this guy's trying to kill me and in order to stop that I might have to kill him mm-hmm. and so I think that comes into his head and like given the circumstances like it's everything is already too much right now and so it's like if that's what we have to do then like I mean, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but we're about to sprint towards that bridge. I have a question for adult Jonnet. Yeah. In this moment in your earlier life, were you making your decision to take a life based on a consideration for others, your crew, your, you know, your found family, or were you more motivated by this uh, selfish desire to uh, achieve your divine destiny, which you have seen very far in the future? And I use selfish not in a negative way because achieving your dreams is, to me and to a lot of the people, you know, who have followed the Liquid Swords for decades, you know, for all of the time it has been around, being selfish is really important and serving yourself is really important. And so I I think Teacher Way says this not in a negative way, but they ask John if they're more motivated by protecting others or by one day achieving greatness like what is 
what is the thing that is driving you to make the decision to kill right now? And by, by that, like making the decision to kill, that is a given because you need to survive this and you need to get out of this. But what is driving that desire to survive? Well, first off, uh, aesthetically, are we are we like just kind of like walking along the beach while this is happening? It feels like a, I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like an eerily like I almost imagine that in the pocket space there's a there's a light breeze mm. and, and like and then yeah. like we're just kind of like walking casually strolling as like this chaos is happening around us, not leaving fr- footprints behind us. It's like a, a walking cinema of horror but i feel like jonnet like he kind of like looks to teacher way and it's like look i i wanted to see the world i wanted to get out of akaran i wanted to see what i was capable of but despite so you're, so you're motivated by selfishness i mean i i love that yeah, yeah. I, like, I think Jonet's expression is like, it, it's a little like brow furrowed, but also like, he's like, yeah, like we're on the same page. I, I, just, I want you to understand, like, we're on the same page. Like, I wanted to do this. Like, I was being selfish, but that's what started this. And then it felt like I got, <laughs> I got five steps out of Acheron, and my world expanded five times over. It started with such a I don't know what felt like a a simple thing. Follow your dreams. Dreams take anywhere between now and infinity. There's so many steps in between that. I had, I had this, and he points to his eye, but I couldn't have imagined this, and he gestures to the beach. So my dreams, my selfishness, that got me here. And he kind of points to his prone self on the on the floor. And a strong will to survive gets me over there and he points to the forest where Polaris is and that's also what inspires my taking his life but it's all in service of I need to stay alive so I can achieve my dreams and I got and I need to not be a burden so I can achieve my dreams so I can become that captain yeah I think we see in frameworks and echoes, not really a physical form, but every bit of suggestion that someone needs to understand. I think we see Gable. There is a turning of body and a shout. I don't know if Gable knows your name at this point. Mm. I think it's just kid echoes, echoes and then bounces off the rocks, the worlds around you. And we can see Polaris turn and we can see the angle of Polaris's pistol move towards this like large, you know, seven foot heavily muscled form of Gable. And we can see the shot start to line up. Jonnet, having moved closer and close enough. I've got to move if 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 that's your you're about to throw it to me. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do um, it. Throw I it. think I think oh geez. I think I tried this in not Bougenith. I've tried this in the fight with the Mariner and oh geez, the Mariner's right hand. Oh uh, La Llorona. La Llorona. Yes. 
I tried this with them and it didn't work. But I think this is the first instance of like Jonnet doing the the earth catapult. And so he sees the barrel kind of move away from him. And like he's assuming that it's going to aim towards Gable. And so we just like get like a surge of earth arcane magic. And he's just going to like push the earth underneath him at like a 45 degree angle and just going to like launch him forward towards like not it feels like it wouldn't necessarily get him all the way to the forest but like forward to the next point of cover i i i think kind of uh yeah i'll 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 take on that that is beautiful and perfect so yeah we we have polaris you know in, in the thick brush of the forest, uh, the, the wireframe of Gable, we can see the terrible line of Polaris's shots move. Because again, as we're seeing these things move, we are seeing the lines of possibility of the universe lining up. We are seeing all of the red strands that show Gable being struck through the heart in, in so many different ways. We're also seeing, you know, the fact that his gun and shot could stutter and that he could move and, and take out Jonnet. And we can see the black sand beach of this cursed island and we can see the sand begin to boil Jonnet's fist in the ground the rippling effect around it and the roiling boiling sand fills the air with a hiss and then there is a catapult beneath Jonnet's feet and of course Polaris being a sharpshooter and a hawk-eyed person that he is sees Jonnet and sees Jonnet moving through the air, assesses the threat of Gable, assesses the threat of Jonnet in an instant, in an instinctual movement, moves his pistol to line up with Jonnet. Jonnet flying through the air takes that knife, that knife that we in the audience have seen before, that we are so familiar with, because we know this is the very same knife that Jonnet used aboard the civility to slit the throat of the man the first time that we as an audience saw Jonnet kill someone. Jonnet moves through the air, takes his knife, and throws it. Throws it in a perfect angle, and Jonnet can see the bullet. The bullet moving through the air, and also the possibilities of the bullet. The bullet zipping through the air and striking him through his own heart. But whether it is a coiled instinct to fight or fly, to survive in a blazing moment or die striving towards that survival, or it is Jonnet's desire not to burden the people that he came to this beach with, not to burden the crew that he decided to join, to be something of use to the world around him. All of that blends together as we see death flying towards Jonnet. And Jonnet strikes through death as his knife cleaves the bullet in half, sending the angles off into the distance, away from his body, as he lands hard in the sand, skidding and rolling from the power of the spell that he cast, exhausted from tapping into a magic that he has never used before. The knife cuts through the bullet, zips through the air, and strikes the neck of Polaris. 
we can see the angles and lines again coming out of Polaris's body as all of his future possibilities are cut short in a single moment and he falls dead. All we hear is Jonet's breath. Past Jonet's breath. It's labored. It's quick. It's shallow. Like, it, it, it sounds so far away. It sounds like two towns over the rest of this fight. Because I think maybe the rest of the fighting is happening on the Black Sands. And within the tree cover, it's a little bit of a calmer space. Which is good because... Jonet is now having to, like, it's all kind of hitting him what has happened. And he's shaken. He probably falls to his knees. I think there are, there are moments where his already, like, overstimulated, like, nervous system, like, thinks it feels something on the, like, the left side of his shoulder. And he, like, turns to the side and, like, but there's nothing there. And he's just like, you know, the tightest bundle of nerves. I I think you feel like pinprick sensations over your skin, too. Like like that heavy, heavy sweat that that, that you can get, that that drop in your stomach. Your your palms feel like sweaty and itchy. It's miserable to live through this again. But... You also got to see it from a distance, too. You saw all of the options that you had. And this was the only one. It wasn't just the option that saved your life. It was the option that saved Gable's life, or however that goes, (laughs) knowing what we now know about Gable. I think there's, yeah, right. (laughs) I think there's like labored breathing, and it's, so John, it's just kind of like standing over the body and just... (sighs) And and he he kind of lets go of the knife and he lets go and he starts to head back into the fray and then his knees buckle. He like hits the ground and he's still kind of just there yelling and I think it kind of blends in with the cacophony of like a fight to begin with but there's just these low undertones of like a child screaming their heart out Teacher Way I think from your perspective you know we see Jonnet kind of kneeling on the ground and we can see Polaris dying like like frozen in the act of death behind him with his throat slit blood spraying into the air the death of possibility around him slowly that image blooms like a terrible flower with the image of everyone else that Jonet has ever had to kill in his life with intention and without we see red feather soldiers we see in Bujanith the traitor who resulted in Dreth's death, who had allowed agents of Dreth's brother, Tiberius Youngblood, to sneak into the hotel room 
and dispatch his friend, who looked into Jonnet's eye, saw the difference between himself and the man that Jonnet would be, and died on the spot of shame. We see drowned sailors, all blooming in different horrible rictus images that have been burned into Jonnet's mind. Every act of violence that he has ever committed sits over his shoulders as he screams in agony. Wow. I think Wei is surprised, to say the least, at how how much conviction Jonnet has. Wei isn't necessarily shocked that that Jonnet has had to protect himself and take many lives over the course of these last few years but Wei is surprised and Wei now sees uh, as I said the amount of conviction and commitment towards the goal of achieving uh, his dream so much that he has been able to basically go from being a young person who is horrified at the thought of taking a life to doing anything by any by any means necessary to protect the people that he chooses to protect and to protect himself uh, and to achieve his goal not in a malicious way not in a i want to you know take all the lives uh, for fun way i think way realizes that jonathan isn't that kind of person through all of these i think way also sees Jonnet's allegiance seeing him kill you know red feather agents and you know people who uh, people who he considers to be bad allows Jonathan to uh, allows way to understand Jonathan's morality as well at least confirm to way that you know he is not on their side he is not allied with evil essentially he's allied with the uhuru and he's allied with his crewmates and he's allied with himself and that paints a really strong picture for way of a deserving young man of a strong young man with conviction to do whatever it takes. And I think with that, this dream fades. We fade away from the island and we're back with Travis and Oromar. Heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the moment you have all been waiting for. The newest generic mid-roll is out. That's right. This one is updated, and it's more generic than ever. Uh, just so everybody knows, I'm doing generic mid-rolls because I recently had a baby, and taking care of a newborn does not leave me with time to do most of my regular podcast duties. Obviously, Skyjax is going to continue posting. I'm just not going to be making bespoke mid-roll announcements for it. Heroes, our captain, our very own Nathan Blades, has designed a brand new role-playing game called The Ballad of Conjurers. It was inspired by JRPGs and the melodrama that they are famous for. And you can pick it up right now on Itch for just five bucks. 
You can find it by looking Nathan Blades up on itch or by following the link in our show notes. Heroes, I've also got something new coming out. I wrote a direct follow-up to my very first book, The Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide, called The Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide Expanded Genres Edition. Basically, we took the concept of prompts and exercises to help you develop backstories for characters at your role-playing table, or really any original characters you want to work on, that use game mechanics to make the process easy and fun, and we expanded it way past the fantasy adventure genre while also including exercises for fantasy adventure. If you're the type of person who loves thinking about your characters or characters in any property that you love, I highly recommend picking up this book. It's coming out in June, but you can pre-order it right now. And pre-ordering is super important. Not only does it tell the bookstores that people are interested in this book, but it tells my publisher that people are interested in this book and it helps me publish more books and therefore support myself and my family. You can pre-order a copy now by heading to bit.ly slash RPG Backstory 2, and that's two as in the numeral two, or by going anywhere books are sold and signing up for a pre-order. That is all major online retailers, every major brick-and-mortar bookstore, and of course your favorite indie brick-and-mortar bookstores. And I always recommend you go to an indie bookstore or a friendly local game store to order a copy because it helps out so many people. So put yourself down for a pre-order for the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide Expanded Genres Edition today. With that said, first I want to thank Lex the Lexicon Artist for joining us as a guest for this arc. And I want to let everyone listening know that Lex is currently touring. So if you have enjoyed their performances here on the show, and you're also in a position where you think you can go out and see shows safely, I highly recommend showing up to Lex's tour. They're going from the East Coast through the Midwest, up and down the country throughout March and April. And you can get tickets for a performance in your area by heading to thelexiconartist.com or following the link in our show notes. And if you can't make it to one of the tour dates, check out Lex's website anyway and listen to their music. It's really great. In addition to our regular game, for this arc we're playing StarCrossed, the two-player Forbidden Romance RPG. StarCrossed was designed by my dear friend and former network member Alex Roberts and is published by Bully Pulpit Games. You can pick up your own copy of StarCrossed by following the link in our show notes. A big thank you to all the cast and crew who are involved in producing the music for this arc. That is not just our guest for the arc, Lex the Lexicon Artist, but it's also Arnie Parrott, our house musician, Tyler Davis, who you're going to be hearing later on, James Mendez-Hodes, who wrote some lyrics for one of the songs that'll be appearing much later on in the arc, and of course, Casey Tony, our editor, for choosing when and where it appears in the show. And also a huge thank you to Tracy Barnett, who assisted Casey Tony on the editing for this arc. Also, for the next couple weeks, for our dear Uhuru bits, we're going to be joined by Tim and Ben Meredith. You can catch them on their completed podcast, Stellar Firma, an improvised comedy podcast about people who build planets. It is seriously one of my favorite podcasts of all time. You gotta check it out. Or you can check them out on their Twitch channel over at twitch.tv slash thebrothersmeredith. As always, one of the biggest thank yous goes to our Patreon patrons who made everything you're listening to possible by supporting the show. Let's thank them right now. Thanks to everyone who supports us already and everyone who's going to support us in the future. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. Oromar, you can tell that something is about to go down. Travis, there is a bird shouting at you and your friends for your unprofessionalism. And Travis, I think we can see in your eyes uh, that you are now noticing a bioluminescent glow approaching this grove. Like an actual one or a magical one? Both. Okay. Like you perceive, like being a being that can perceive through the forest queen's, you know, uh, uh, moonshine glow, like you can tell. Okay. Okay. I get what you're saying is important, but you need to be quiet right now. Orma had stopped, like literally stopped moving because, you know, they, they don't have like a heartbeat or human shake. Their, their body is just entirely inert. Does Oromar do the thing that the vampires teach Bella to do in Twilight where they Johnny, have to, like... how could anyone possibly answer this question? <laughs> they have to, like, pretend to breathe and, like, they... so they don't look weird. I think that is the thing that Oromar is act- tries in their social situations to try and do, to do the facility of uh, humanity. Mostly because... Um, you know, uh, bits and pieces like that give away the fact that he's dead. So he has to try, especially with strangers. For example, uh, Genevieve, the person who uh, we met when we docked uh, mm-hmm. here, uh, Orima was trying to do their best to breathe for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. But then you'd love Twilight. Uh... I've seen the first movie. <laughs> it was actually really fun. Super-powered vampire baseball. Anyway. <sighs> that is... I could talk at length about vampire baseball. <laughs> um, okay, and we we need to hide. So I don't know how good you are at blending in, but we got to do that. Mm. And this this bird needs to stop. I think Oromar looks at the bird and there is just a glowering menacing glare i think in the in in the past Oromar has like stamped a boot to get people's attention and things like that Omar just stares at this bird i mean this entire forest is filled with killing intent but there is a uh, there is a flash of Oromar brand killing intent at, at the messenger bird very briefly can can we try to hide Mm. Yes, okay. I would love a roll for mm. that. Stealth? Yeah, or here's what I want. I would like Oromar to roll some kind of intimidation mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, shut mm-hmm. this bird up. And the results of that roll are going to inform what Travis's challenge is going to be for stealth. Yeah. Mm. Sorry to be dense. I've not made an intimidation roll. We don't really have that in the social set. I think it would be coercion. Against how much? 
I I want I'm trying to determine if a finch should be resistant to the killing aura of Oromar Vale <laughs> or susceptible. I'm going to go with susceptible. I don't want to create too much of a to-do over mm. keeping this bird quiet, but okay. it would be very funny if you could not. <laughs> All right. What what numbers are we going for then? So average, two purple versus oh, your two, three two, two. green. Gotcha. Got it. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Failure with an advantage. Okay. I <laughs> I think that you try to menace at this bird, but this bird is, let's face it, this bird is a courier. This bird mm-hmm. has to put up with day in and day out messy human customers that like stand between this bird and its food pellet. Mm. And if the bird doesn't get the pellet then like what's the fucking point of any of this they have to fly across Mm. the city and here we've got some out of towners coming in hiring the bird and then not even taking the messages that the bird like worked so hard to bring them and Mm. on top of that on top of that, there hasn't been a single fucking tip this entire time. All of the pellets have had, like, the next destination on them. None of them have been just for the bird. So the bird is unleashing a tirade. And Oromar, there is a point where you realize that your killing intent is not going to silence this bird. And while this isn't exactly within the spirit of this intimidation check. Uh, actually, let's 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 have Travis roll the stealth first. Travis, please roll mm-hmm. your stealth. What's the difficulty? The difficulty on this, I think, is now going to be hard because the bird is being loud. Okay, well, I'm not too worried. Hmm. Okay. Now, this is interesting. Yes. Uh-huh. I'll start with the easy part, which is three successes. Okay. Okay. Then, well, I guess it's not that interesting, actually. So we've got three successes, two threats, and one triumph. Oh. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So the, the most important part, to me anyway, is that Oromar realizing that your killing intent is doing nothing on this, you know, service employee who has just <laughs> had it. Mm. You realize that there is only one thing that you can do. You reach out as this bird is like singing away, grab it and put it inside your mouth and close your mouth. The tweeting Mm -hmm. does become more intense and the bird is furious, but also you know that ultimately no harm is going to come to this bird Uh, Mm -hmm. and it will be quieter while it's in your mouth. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Three successes, I think suggests like perfect hiding. I feel like Oromar is like like Travis is able to direct Oromar to just lay in a place that like the natural blend of his clothing and the mud that he's gotten on his boots and like the the fact that the mangranil would kill any person who, who touched them. No one will suspect that Oromar the pile of clothes and whatnot as they lie down into this place is a living person that they will think instead, ah, this is merely someone who has succumbed to the mangranil. Mm-hmm. Or is thinking, oh, this jacket was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> and Travis, Travis, you are going to be able to hide away 
perfectly, but we do have the threat. I will have to figure out what the threat is. I mean, I have an idea. Ooh, go for it. We messed around with their stuff and didn't put it back. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Like the journal is like flicked open. Yeah. Uh, I think... Okay, here, here's what happens. Uh, but before we actually dive into that, Travis, this is a triumph, which I think to me suggests, let's pull up the Changelings themes for a second here. So we have transformation, yearning, impulse, and will. Travis, what we learned from the Morrigan is something that I feel like if you have reckoned with it, you've really only reckoned with it in a very internal sense. And it's that you're not just a changeling. As we have come to know, there are changelings. There are beings that have made deals with the Forest Queen to, you know, meet various ends. But the request that she makes is that part of their bodily autonomy be hers, that they spend part of their time in the form of a creature of the forest. But you are are something more than that. You are the changeling. You are not just someone who has made a deal with a forest queen in exchange for gifts. You are, in a very real sense, a luminary in your own right. And I think in this instant where when you are not thinking about it when you are not trying to capitalize on it you are able to tap in to some of that power in a way that if you have before you haven't thought anything about it you may have written it off but johnny i want to know what cool changeling shit does travis do that allows him, I think, because this is ultimately surrounding a stealth role, to be undetected in this moment. But it's also just a fucking big power luminary thing. So I'm a a bright white bird. Correct. <laughs> you said that like um like it was a deposition. <laughs> like, <Yes. right. laughs> and and uh listeners can't see Johnny on the other side of the Zoom call, but that is exactly how you would describe Johnny if you were to see him. He's a bright white bird. Bright white bird. I th- there are two ways that I think this could go. I don't know if either of them is like too big, but one is just like being able to change my color to better match the surrounding temporarily. And the other is being able to somehow either speed up or slow down time or something so that the, uh, the moon is behind me and I like blend in with the moon. I'm trying to decide which one I like more. Which one feels the most changeling? Because we we have established that the light and, more importantly, the darkness of the Forest Queen's moon 
conceals things. So Mm. I do literally think there is a possibility to step into the shadows of the moonlight Mm. to be fully concealed from most things. But part of me feels like, especially because we're trying to underscore Travis's changelingness, that that is too much contingent on the power of the forest queen. So I was going to make a suggestion if 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 you like a third option. Sure, I love I love options. Mm. Uh, if if changeling magic is being able to change into animals, any animal, big flashes of luminary tear magic. What if you just become a swarm of fireflies for like a minute? That's cool. Ooh. That is cool. I do. I do. I, I kind of like that more than the moonlight thing because I wanted to be Travis's own thing. The the thing that I will give you for the first one that you suggested, Johnny, I, I think you can choose either to become a swarm of fireflies because it's fucking radical and I love it very much, or we can have it so that your feathers are like a chameleon's skin. And it's almost kind of like predator style. You just have oh. a body that perfectly blends like, into your environment. Absolute perfect. I cover camouflage. myself in mud. Yeah. So that- the only <laughs> the only thing that would give you away is your void black eyes. Someone, if they were to see you, would have to see that there is a part of the world where the darkness is simply too dark. I like the firefly thing, but also I don't know if adding another animal is too many. Mm. So what if I'm able to like become that sort of swamp gas energy? Just kind of like a a nothingness. <sighs> that so I, I think like the thing that we we'd be picking up on this like the power that is allowing this to happen is like the essence of transformation mm. that is at the heart of what the changeling is the more the more i think of it i i think you're going to get this perfect camouflage sure um mm. like yeah cuz i feel like swamp gas is like that's like literally changing into something that is not an animal which is very cool but feels disconnected mm-hmm. um and turning into a swarm of fireflies it it will be hard for you to emote mm. maybe yeah so so let's yeah you're you're still a bird but you are a bird with a with a shifting chameleon like camouflage plumage that makes you almost imperceptible And that, of course, brings us to the threats. As we can see, the chasseur step into the grove. And this is a strange-looking creature. It has mostly the shape of a deer's body, in that it has the graceful legs of a deer. We, We were playing with key deer as the essence of this. So it's shorter than like a normal deer, but its flesh is not entirely a deer's flesh. Um, We can see that there are really just kind of, there's a patchy, uh, not not even patchy because they're not separated, but there is a thin bit of, of hair that covers this creature's back. And beneath it, there is the, the soft, flesh that we would expect from an axolot. It it has hooves like a deer, but 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 this soft flesh has a bioluminescent glow about it. 
The mouth of this creature is wide. It has a a, a much wider and and thicker head than a deer would have. Its eyes do sit uh, on the side of its head in the way that a deer's eyes would sit, but they are much, much larger. They are still the shape of a deer's eyes, that I think disquieting, like rectangular shape. But they have like the the relative like largeness of an axolot's eyes. And, you know, they, they look as large and dewy. And because they sit so far on the sides of its head, it looks very alien. And speaking of the sides of its head and alien, one of the things that I love about Axolot so much is their gills are literally on the sides of their gosh dang face. They have these like frondy gill things mm-hmm. that flare out from their body. It looks very cool. And that is exactly what's on this deer's head. I think the gills like actually travel down its body. You know how Bambi's dad had that like big kind of full thick chest. I think it is that with these bioluminescent frondy gills. So Mm. like most of its body glows like this whitish blue and these gills glow this beautiful pink. Did we talk about how this is Almost the Lord of the Mountain from Breath of the Wild. Yeah, we yes, okay. said that yes. a little bit. Mm. Th- that is, it is that very is much Lord of the Mountain. Our base piece of inspiration. Again, have not played this Zelda game because it is too long and my job is too difficult for me to play long games. Well, Lord of the Mountain um, isn't even a side quest. It's, it's not just even a guy. It's just a, just a, a horseman you can hang out with. <laughs> I mean, that sounds super fucking cool, but I don't know if I'll ever know. And look, folks, th- it's got. Every, it's got a big rack of horns. God, God love those mm-hmm. fucking antlers. Mm-hmm. Antlers look so fucking cool. And this one has got them. They're big. They're impressive. Bambi's dad energy. This, you know, is a dilf deer for <laughs> sure. Um, this James. Kieran that we're now running into. Okay, James. are we going to pretend that that's not what Bambi's dad was? Yeah, James. we'd all fuck that deer. None of that animation, yes. animation staff looked at those pictures of Bambi's dad and was like, I want to fuck this we deer wanna, a little bit. We want to fuck this deer. came out roughly around the same time as like the fox Robin Hood, right? Yeah. So I guess the energy was just in the air. This is still terrifying, though. Yes. <laughs> And it's light, the light of this bioluminescence like kind of washes over the grove. Here's the thing about how actual hunt, it it is kind of an unignorable fact that we're going to have to change. Um, I do love it. Actual create a kind of vacuum in their throat by expanding their throat that allows them to suck in a lot of water at once. So they Mm. wholesale swallow whatever you know they are devouring i kind of like for our universe purposes that we combine axolot with uh leeches a little bit mm. and that like it still oh, creates that rows of teeth that yes that terrifying oh, that's bad. rows of nasty teeth so like if this creature were to get you it would just hook on to you with its powerful mouth and drain you fucking dry. It would gore you with its horns to disable you and then little teeth go in and just takes out as much blood as it possibly can with a, again, powerful vacuous force that an actual oat's throat has, you know, moving on like the, the draining power of a leech. It is a 
hauntingly beautiful, but definitely terrifying sight to behold. Mm. It enters the grove with, with the casual gait of an animal that is not aware that it is being watched. Uh, if you have seen any trail cam footage, uh, it's very interesting to see how animals move when they are not aware of a human presence versus like your most most experience of deer. Like you can see them like, I'm going to try and eat grass, but I really don't know that you haven't committed to running after me. Sort of like tension in their bodies. This is that loose gait of an animal that, you know, feels like it is relatively safe. And then suddenly washing over its entire body, the awareness that its home is not right, that something is very wrong. And that it has to run. It feels that in an instant and moves just quickly like lightning out of the grove. Travis, first, what do you do? I want to go after it. Do I do I okay. recognize this creature? I think we, we talked before about you looking at the swirling energy of transformation you recognizing within it parts of the person that you once mm -hmm. knew, but the animal was so much farther forward. I think ultimately there is something about the eyes of this creature that you know, but also so much of what you see is, you know, just a wild animal. I would like to move over to Oromar to hearken back to that perception check that Oromar mm -hmm. made earlier. You know, we'll say that you can, although Oromar's face was down and, and it certainly was unseen, you are perceiving on the spiritual plane as well. Where this thing is headed. Where Not just where the thing is headed, but the nature of the running, the thing that you perceived earlier, the danger the malicious intent, that bioluminescent glow. The bioluminescent glow was a change in the energy. You did perceive that. But around the trees, it, it was difficult to perceive this thing as different at first because there is so much malicious force. But now, now that the changeling's energy ha has changed the world, like it throws things in a bit of sharper relief. And you realize that this changeling was not running from you and Travis, from its home being disturbed. It was running from something else, something that is very familiar to you. It was running from the presence of the cutting stone. We return once again to the long line of prospective applicants to the Skyship Uhuru and our table of judges as as they examine uh, the next person. Uh, could we get a description of, of the person coming off the line to present a headshot and resume? Yes. Well, um, 
It's an interesting question, actually. Um, I have many forms, depending on who is perceiving me, and I'd, I'd hate to yuck anyone's yum when it comes to what they think of when they hear this lovely voice. But t- to me, um, I am sort of a, a squat, hairy creature. Um, you know, the classic two and two in terms of the whole legs and arms situation. That's all happening. Uh, but but in terms of the whole middle bit, it's kind of a bit confusing. Got, got a lot of clothes on, a lot of bangles, a lot of spangles, a lot of, lot of sort of leather wrist bracelets, that sort of thing. You know, it's all happening there. Uh, a bit of that, a Matt Mercer going on in the wrist Bit of a Matt Mercer. <laughs> Bit of, bit of that going on. So whatever you like within that within that whole theme, that's me, baby. And, and that is indeed the 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 headshot that is put down on the table as we we begin the interview. Good morning. Nice to Good see morning. you. Your first of the day. Hmm. You know what? You know what they say. First one, let him in. That's the that's a that's a saying. <laughs> yeah. that everybody got you know first meeting, let them in. Doesn't matter where you work, a bank, a blood doning center. Uh-huh. First one, let them in. Uh-huh. You know what? You're welcome. But those uh-huh. are, those are both places where you wouldn't really <clears throat> deny someone coming in. It's yeah, it's sort of it's everyone free exactly. entry. And why and why would you and why would you be so churlish as to be the first? What makes you better than a bank, blood or otherwise? <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we don't do bank stuff. We don't. We don't hold on to money, and we don't. Um, well, yeah, we, now, hold, we, hold, we, hold. we do retain Spits here? barrels of blood. Think about it. Hey, uh, hey, Spitz. Have I just well, Have I just have I just blown everyone's mind? If you let him in, we, certainly we will let you in if you are here to make a deposit. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Hey, I'll give you my I'll give you my blood. I'll give you someone else's blood. Whose blood you want? Uh, oh. Let me know. Give me twenty four hours. You, I'll get the blood. Let's get let's get an Arnold Palmer. Just half and half yours and someone else's. An Arnold Palmer. An Arnold Palmer. <laughs> I'm just gonna yeah. stop. I thought you were gonna go half and half money and blood. Oh, I can now, give you. I can give you some bloody cash. Now money and blood <laughs> is compelling. Well, what about? Dudes love me some bloody cash. You gotta love it. <laughs> what about a pint of blood with just some notes tucked in there? Mm. Oh, Which ones like you a, can't see because of all the blood? Like a Bloody Mary, but instead of having a celery stick, you've got like a Benjamin in yeah. there. The green. The Bloody Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a job Isn't interview. That what you guys call that big <laughs> Just, <trot>? Sorry, yes. <laughs> Just. We're interviewing <laughs> imagine, for a job. Imagine after the pint clotted, you could turn it over like a jelly mold, pull oh. it away. <laughs> this. Oh, yeah. Ooh. This energy. Ooh. This energy is a lot. This is a lot of energy, a lot of particular energy. And, Hello. Uh, so just right off the bat. So what role would you want to occupy on the Huru? Also, what's your name? Also, who oh, are, are you? <laughs> Sorry, this happens a lot. I'm in there, 10 minutes have gone past, people are like, hang on a minute, hang on, hang on, stop, stop, stop talking, stop talking. Who are you? Well, let me tell you. This is your lucky day, because my name is Trexel KGK Geisman, planet designer extraordinaire and stand-up guy. And by stand-up guy, I mean I have worked out how to stand up, and nobody can deny, and nobody can deny, he's up on his two legs, so nobody can deny. All right. Ooh. Round of applause. Let him in. Wow. Okay. Um, Wonderful. I don't know if we've ever started off a uh, an interview with a musical number. Um, well, it sounds that's... like you've got a big gap in your market. And I intend to fill it with song. With a planet. Fill my gap with song. This could be... Gable, this could be a real find for us. I, I mean, uh, this could be a Mary Poppins situation. Oh. He's introducing himself through song. Here's the thing. 
And th- this is just an aside. Spit, this is a pretty crowded room right now. <laughs> I'm not sure you need to be here right now. <laughs> we can't. We cannot derail. We have guests. We cannot <laughs> derail. I'm someone. I love excluding people. Right, who are we excluding? I Who's would, getting pushed off the... Yeah, I would like to explore this. Spit, what are you adding right now? Yeah. Come on, Spit, no. answer the question. <laughs> What do you bring I, to the I, table, I, idiot? Where's, I'm just, what, what sort of I, blood or cash are you bringing us? None, Spit. as far as I know. You've, you've barely bought a congealed terrine, Spit. I've known you for 20 seconds, and I already hate you. Travis Matigo, you look at me in my eyes. Okay. You look at me in my uh, eyes right uh, now. You ask me what kind of blood I'm bringing? What kind of cash I'm bringing? When you know. It's sexual. Okay, fantastic. Wow. All right. That you got to respect. I was just saying that in an interview situation, when the interviewee meets a lot of people, it could be intimidating and a poor representation of the company. If you don't agree, that's You know what's a poor representation of the company? Hashing this out mid-interview. Okay. I feel like that's That's, a lot worse. That's fantastic. Uh, I I did have um, two functional questions going on. Please. Uh, Functionally question me, I love it. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, first of all, uh, you said something along the idea of a planet designer. Yes. Yeah, yes. El- elaborate. I mean, yeah, I'm what's, what's going on with that? Well, 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 well. Welcome to the Thunderdome. Now, I oh. have oh, a, certain of, <laughs> a certain set of skills. It's not rediscovering the location of a loved one. That's for Lee. Now, my thing, my thing is designing planets from scratch. Not bad ones, often not good ones, but ones. Do you need a world on which an entire species can live? Come to me. Do you need a prison planet in which to put all of your ne'er-do-wells? Come to me. Do you need a star that burns so brightly that everybody dies? Come to me. So so you're a Mormon? (laughs) Oh, oh. A Mormon? Yeah. How wh- How did you know? You're absolutely <laughs> correct. Yes. If that's what you want me to be, I'll be it. Mormon, Mormon. It's so much more fun. Mormon, more fun Another musical break. Wow. I also work in marketing. Was, if you need anything zhuzhed. It, what, I was going to say that, John, that wasn't really a song so much as a jingle, which I do appreciate. If we need more we need more music on this ship, all right? We got to we got to brighten the mood sometimes, okay? If he can if this man can promise us interspersed random songs about anything, it seems anything. like sometimes nothing. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, this is a fun game. This is fun. All right. So, Say that mm-hmm. uh, let's let's all mm-hmm. it's it's like an improvisational warm up. I have a cup. What's interesting about this cup? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and do everyone a favor and exclude myself from this to free up some space in the room. <laughs> How about Travis and I? We're going to go play the ad game in the hallway. <laughs> then, so hang on, am I, am I telling everybody what's in this cup? Please tell us what's in the cup. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, as previously established, the cup's full of blood. Okay. The blood has become congealed. You've turned it upside down, you pull it out, it's a wibbly-wobbly cone uh-huh. of platelets, cells, and sweet, sweet cash. Uh-huh. You Wibbly smash it wobbly. against the wall, and you look up at the sky, and you say, God, why hast thou forsaken me with thy blooded cup? I wish for Benjamin's clean of coagulant. And the 
a cloud scuds across the sky and a hand comes down with a handful of change. And it's actually a lesson about enjoying what you have. Oh. That's what's Mm. Do you happen to know the uh, hand descending from the sky, Gable? It feels like it's your kind of territory. So I... (laughs) So I was thinking rather than listening. What, what, did, you, what did you say? <laughs> That's, I did the same this thing. This is another thing I'll bring to the table. <laughs> so- <laughs> Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. In the universe of Star Wall Odyssey, space is made out of the collective imaginations of all the thinking beings who live on various planets. These worlds are connected to each other through imagination. Common themes and ideas are strings between universes. And to get between them, people fly wooden ships that look like animals, which are powered by emotions. Also, people communicate with each other by contemplating orbs. The only way you can take pictures is getting stared at by a big psychic bug. And people have already declared victory in a war over the very concept of evil. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Starwall Odyssey follows the adventures of the hapless inhabitants of the Lucky Finn Tenement Building, who suddenly find that their apartment is actually a spaceship, and that they're lost in a sea of boundless imagination. It's an actual play starring me, James D'Amato, Mel D'Amato, Allie Grauer, and Drew Merzieski, as we playtest the No Kings system, which will hopefully one day be the Skyjacks role-playing system. It toes the line between weird and wonderful slice of life and high-flying space fantasy. You can sample the first five episodes by searching for Starwall Odyssey on your favorite podcast app, or get the whole thing by heading to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and signing up for $5 a month or more. You can find more great gaming shows over at oneshotpodcast.com. Like A Horror Borealis. A Horror Borealis is an actual play Monster of the Week podcast set in the 1990s in the fictional town of Revenant, Alaska, just south of the nation's least visited national park and way north of everything else. A reclusive small game hunter with a magical secret, a young anarchist librarian with a passion for conspiracy theory, and a sensible park ranger with a strong local book club following find themselves pulled together by common threads woven mysteriously into their past when monsters begin plaguing their tiny community. But they soon discover the things they're fighting run much deeper and much closer to home. Tune in for a story about identity, empathy, community, mental illness, and healing. And stay for the beloved local diner. You can find A Horror Borealis on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Madigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at Phantom Arts ENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. 
The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, or on his podcast, Neo Scum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists, and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. Strangers who've ever been kind And once for our friends ne'er rise Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky